Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. Hi, I'm Stephen Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Ryan Media and Research Limited. I've been in the business since the 80s and uh, have consulted with stations across the world. In fact, I think the total now is around 19 or 20 countries. And I'm best known as a consultant and research expert in the radio field. Hi, this is Sean Smith. There's a next level player in the online audience music research space. It's Momentum Music Research, which is built on a cloud-based platform created by Stephen Ryan of Ryan Research and Media. It turns out that it's now possible to mount your own ongoing music research and see the results in real time and utilize a groundbreaking new algorithm that eliminates outlier bias to deliver more robust samples and a hit detective to help you identify winning songs and killer song rotations. Stephen joins us to talk momentum music research, but also demystify the entire research process. Stephen, thanks for joining us today. No worries, Sean. Good to have a chance to catch up. Now, um, you've got a storied background in media uh, all over the world, and you're also known as an Irishman in the UK. How did you end up making the trip, uh, the hop over to England? Well, um, I was lucky enough to uh, start working in radio when Pirate Radio in Ireland was doing pretty well. And that was back in the 80s because commercial radio didn't become legitimized until 1989 uh, in the Republic of Ireland. And uh, I had worked through various pirate stations uh, as a newsreader and as a, a talent on air as well. And uh, then Super Pirates came along. These were stations which were run basically as a professional radio station and uh, had deals with advertising agencies and so on, were basically run as a legitimate concern. Just one small point is that they didn't have any licenses. So that was where I kind of got my grounding in radio. And then I started applying to radio stations in the UK and across Europe, uh, some of the English language stations that might be in places like France and Spain and so on. And uh, I got an opportunity to go and work in a radio station in uh, in France, uh, which was broadcasting to the Channel Islands. And for those of you who may not know this, the Channel Islands is a protectorate of uh, the UK. So it's part of the UK. And uh, that was my first so-called legitimate job. The uh, The only small issue was that uh, I thought it was legitimate because it had a license, but it had a license for uh, 60 watts. Uh, in a local station in northwestern France, and we were pumping out about 80,000 watts towards the Channel Islands. So we got away with that for a period of time, and uh, then we had a a visit one morning from a very uh, annoyed man from uh, Paris with a clipboard and uh, about 15 armed gendarmes, and that was the end of that. So I then started looking up the other possibilities back in the UK. I got a job in uh, the south of England in a radio station group called Ocean Sound, and I ended up being the morning show jock on one of those stations, then ended up being on drive time. So that kind of got me into the UK. And uh, that's where I sort of remained ever since. So you went from being a pirate, a renegade, into semi-legit, into totally legit, uh, into on-air. So at what point did you make the shift into research? I mean, that that's some pretty heavy suit and tie work right there. Yeah, I mean, it didn't happen uh, overnight. Um, I worked as a, a presenter and a newsreader across uh, a number of stations in the UK. And uh, I ended up living where I live now in Cornwall in the southwest of England. 
And um, I was in management in the local radio station here and still doing some on-air work as well. And uh, I was then given an opportunity to join uh, the Daily Mail group. Now, the Daily Mail is one of the largest newspaper groups uh, in the UK, and they had radio stations operating throughout the UK and also in uh, places like Hungary and Sweden, and they had about 50 stations in Australia. So I was brought in under the uh, the guise of business development, and that's when I sort of got my first exposure to the, the use of research in radio, uh, working with other companies such as uh, broadcast programming and research and so on from Australia. Um, I worked there for a couple of years, and then I joined another uh, operation, which was an American operation, but based in Sweden, called uh, Scandinavian Broadcast Services, or SBS. And SBS uh, ran television and radio stations, again, across Europe. And uh, this was anywhere from Scandinavia right down to to Greece in the uh, southern part of Europe. And again, these were stations that were run very much um, under the guise of, you know, researched and uh, highly formatted and so on. And again, I was getting more and more experience. And then around uh, 2003, there was an opportunity for me to look at uh, some opportunities in Eastern Europe where there was uh, emerging markets. They weren't totally sophisticated, but they were beginning to be so. And uh, I thought, well, I'll take some of this experience. And I started working with stations in Eastern Europe. And uh, that sort of led on to other opportunities uh, in Western Europe as well, back working in places like Greece. And I kind of developed the, the research side of my business during that period. Now, what was happening in the business at that time and uh, with technology in general around 2003 that would um, propel you into making research a really primary part of what you do? Well, I think, first of all, you know, there was obviously traditional research, which was available to us, but the Internet was uh, still pretty young and we had sort of dial up and so on, which wasn't very conducive to doing anything online. But the uh, the ability to be able to research music and uh, select songs that, you know, were definitely going to be a hit with the audience uh, was becoming more and more important. And uh, when I say the emerging emerging markets in Eastern Europe, you know, they were becoming sophisticated, but there was still an opportunity to make those products an awful lot better. And that's where the research came in. So um, it sort of developed from there. Uh, and then as online opportunities came about, it gave, you know, more of a scope to be able to do things maybe on a better budget and, and grow it from that point of view. So the, the research was always there, um, but not necessarily used in the best way. And we just brought it in and and. and basically gave a station a, a more sophisticated edge in the market. And at that time, we were, as a radio stations, we were competing against each other, primarily. Mm -hmm. um, is that uh, fair to say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, as time went on, things became more and more competitive. And obviously, you know, we, we would go in and have first mover advantage and do really well. And then, uh, you know, other people would become a bit more sophisticated. So you had to get smarter. Uh, but it was all about competition all the time. What would a uh, survey in the marketplace look like at that moment in 2003? What would you be doing? Well, you know, there was usually a, a large heritage station, which may not have been that great, but it was the biggest player. And sometimes that was because it was a government back station and they sort of backed off on co the commercial side. Um, so they would have fairly you know, large shares. I'll give you an example. When we went into work in Romania, when we went in there, there would be a large number of you know, heritage stations, which may not be that good, but they were able to, uh, to be successful because they had you know, maybe big names, they had a bit of government backing and so on, and they'd have shares around the 17%, 20% mark. 
and uh, we we would go in and and we you know we took on what was co- uh, originally called uh, Contact FM and we rebranded that as Kiss FM. And um, within a very short period of time, we would then get around the 12 to 13 percent shares. Uh, and we had reduced that existing player down to around five or six percent. So, you know, th- there there was competition, but it was competition in a kind of very light sense. And then we brought that sophistication in again. So it kind of changed the whole dynamics of the of the market. And this was sort of the beginning of online music testing and offering a way for your P1s to interact with you and uh, tell you about the songs that you're playing. Yeah, I mean, as I said, we, we started off with the you know traditional field work through a third party, you know, to get AMTs done and also for call out on an, on an ongoing basis. Um, but as time went on, the internet, uh, you know, the broadband facilities got better in each of these countries. We could start to look at the, the more online side of things. Um, and I started to develop uh, mainly analysis tools that were online so that uh, I could be sent information very quickly. I could process it and then they could see it really quickly. And that's kind of where the, the first sort of the sort of first steps into online research as we know it today for from my from my point of view. Now, I understand that you were uh, able to create your own cloud based platform uh, to service some of your needs because it just wasn't available. Right. Correct. Yeah. Um, you know, as time went on, uh, you know, using Excel to do, to do data processing is fine to a point, but uh, it is a bit laborious. Um, and there was an opportunity to be able to, number one, you know, look at the analysis side of it and then uh, put a front end to that so that actually the, the field work all the way through to the analysis could all be done using the same platform. And that was something we were able to develop over time, but using the expertise we'd seen through, you know, the use of traditional uh, call out done through field work with a, a third party co- uh, contractor or indeed AMTs. And therefore, you know, as the internet got better, we got better and our uh, tools became more sophisticated. And lots of other uh, companies followed with various uh, offers for the industry. Um, fast forward to 2021 now and talk to me about the need for uh, really robust research. Uh, in the marketplace right now where we are faced with competition from streaming providers from everywhere? Well, you know, at the end of the day, there was an evolution that was taking place anyway. But because of the pandemic that we've all suffered under, it's kind of uh, fast paced everything and got things moving an awful lot quicker than may have been expected initially. And the analogy I would use is a bit like, you know, online shopping. It's been there for many years, but it's been growing gradually. Um, suddenly we have a situation whereby people have to go online they, and are now wondering why they never did it that way in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sort of same thing when we look at uh, online research. You know, people uh, are used to doing things in a particular way, um, but there's two ways the uh, the pandemic has, has caused an effect here. One is that, for instance, you know, doing a traditional auditorium test and inviting, you know, 150 people into a room to sit together and very mm-hmm. closely together and to uh, to be in a room to to listen to songs for a couple of hours really isn't going to be possible if ever it might never come back. Um, but even if it does and, you know, hotels and venues are allowed to host these again, um, there is a, pro- a problem that people may be just too nervous to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And also then we have the situation whereby there's a lot of listening going on. So, you know, in general, across all the markets that I work in, um, you know, the, the time spent listening has gone up. 
Um, the overall listening has either plateaued or, or gone down slightly, but the actual hours listened has gone up. Therefore, things like rotations and so on are going to be noticed. So if you've got very hot rotations and people are listening far longer than they did before, you know, possibly, you know, 15 to 20 percent more uh, listening time, uh, you really have to be very, very careful that every song you're playing is uh, thoroughly thought through and is the right song to be playing at any time. Because as you rightly say, it's not just radio that's providing the, the competition now, it's also the, uh, the, the the online services and the streaming services. Mm-hmm. So you have to be absolutely sure of everything you put on air. Right. So those uh, sort of uh, recurrents and... Um you know, older songs that you might be playing that you think, hey, look, that tested really, really great two years ago. Um, And I know nobody else is playing it in the market. It's got to be doing great. When in fact, uh, that song may be burning just by the very nature of it being out in the universe, uh, off platform, burning the listeners out. And you don't know that. Exactly. And if you don't have some way of being able to judge that, then you have a problem. Um, because, you know, if you're running a lot of burnt songs, people are going to get tired. And we know what happens when they get tired. They go somewhere else. Now, you've evolved your cloud based platform uh, to a next level kind of uh, status uh, by by evolving and, and developing the algorithm mm-hmm. that uh, that cor- kind of um, does a couple of things. It identifies hits, and then it tells you what to do with them. Can you get in behind that a little bit and tell tell us why um, why the algorithm uh, makes a superior um, data set? Well, you know, traditionally, you know, when you have things like call out and it's done in the traditional methodology, so you're making a call out to somebody who's guiding, you know, the respondent through the process, you have control. Uh, You also, if you're conducting an AMT, uh, you're in an auditorium, you're able to view the people, you're able to look them in the eye, you can see exactly what they're doing, are they paying attention and so on. Again, you get control. Once you go online, there's a kind of a fear factor that maybe you don't have so much control. You don't know who's coming in and uh, you don't know whether somebody is the right candidate, even though they claim they're a 15 to 24 year old female. How do you know? Uh Well, this is why we developed the algorithm. It's that at the end of the day, in any sample, even in the traditional call out and AMT methodology, you're going to find outliers, people who just behave well outside the norm. Now, that may just be because they happen to like your station, but actually they're a really big fan of your morning show but they're not overly keen on the music um, but kind of put up with it therefore they might be down rating the songs but they're behaving in terms of you know someone who would be your p1 music listener the person who absolutely loves what you do they're going to start diluting the the power of those songs or you might just get somebody who's just uh, having a very happy day and going crazy on the other end and over over emphasizing how they loved all the songs so how do you eradicate that? Well, that's where the algorithm uh, we've developed comes in. It looks at the, the data. It looks at anybody who's behaving well outside the norm. And that's based on a number of things. It's, it's how they score the songs, the sequence, how they score the songs and the time they've taken to make decisions and so on. Uh, and by using this algorithm, it brings back that sort of necessary feeling of control. You know you're going to get a more robust sample because if you don't have a robust sample, then from you know survey to survey, if you're doing call-out, it could be bouncing all over the place and you wouldn't know what to do. But this mm-hmm. gives a much more smooth trending to the system. Have you ever suspected that there were competitors out there that were trying to monkey about with your sample? Uh, well, I'm not going to mention any names, but people have actually told me they do. So okay. <laughs> they uh, now, I mean, it's it's usually just somebody because I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if you know, unless you're you're recruiting secretly behind the scenes, 
you're publicly saying we want people to come in and help you to play the songs and no doubt somebody down the road might just think well I'll go and help them play the songs and <laughs> give them a completely wrong steer but this is you know that's the joy of an algorithm is it'll suddenly go hang on this person is just not behaving in a normal fashion and uh, they can be removed from the sample so how does the sample change does it change fundamentally when you take out some of these outliers some of these people that are uh, are, are not uh, completing the surveys in a in a um, uniform way? Well, it, it depends on, on what the outliers were doing. I mean, you could have a mix of outliers who were, you know, overrating the songs and some underrating the songs. So you mightn't see a huge difference. But generally speaking, you'll see them as a group that are either overcompensating or undercompensating. So you will see a difference in the numbers. So um, certain songs you'll see that, you know, the score that you started out with, with the full sample will go up uh, compared to what was what was before. Um, also, you've got to you know be aware that that um, if somebody's being malicious, um, then it's going to be well outside the norm. And you, what you want to do is just make sure that that uh, you you take out the unusual behaviour and then you analyse what you've got uh, as regards the result of that with what, with what you had originally, and then you begin to see a very clear picture of what those outliers were doing. So you know, in terms of composition. You don't want to see a huge change. You don't want to see that you're testing 15 to 34 and all the 15 to 19s have disappeared. You'd like to see that the outlier removal had taken out, uh, you know, a proportional amount across the entire demo you're looking at. And you don't want to see that suddenly all the males have disappeared and you only had the females if you were doing both. So um, there's, you know, our system looks at that and makes sure that, you know, the balance of the, the, re the remaining sample once those outliers are taken out remains the same. So what happens if you're not real happy with what you have left over? Um, is, it, is it kosher to be able to go out and ask more people to come in to the survey? Absolutely. You know, you can either, you know, at the end of the day, you can start again from scratch. But, you know, the way we, we work the system is that you're, you're building a panel first. So you're not recruiting, you know, a, a, a onto a, a full survey on a completely raw and open basis. You, you recruit your panel. You now have you can see the, the, the composition of your panel. You can then invite people per a composition that you'd like to achieve. You can then monitor the process as the, as the survey takes place. And, you know, you could send out a perfectly balanced uh, number of people to be invited to the survey. But as the survey is going on, you can easily spot, hang on a second, maybe there's there's not as many 20 to 24s as I'd like. So you could send out an, you know, a few more invites to that particular demographic and then you get your, your, your balance back in. So there's no need to be worried at this point because presumably you have far more P1s that are attached to your radio station that are participating online as your friends um, than you would say on a 50-person call-out survey. Yeah, it, it comes down to numbers, Sean. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, you can only, you know, the, the more granular you want to be, the bigger the sample you need. And the difficulty is, is, you know, if you've got samples as, as small as 50, if you're on a very narrow demographic, that might be fine. But the problem is, is there's an issue with that. What you want to be able to do is be able to increase the respondents or to, you know, include more people in the survey. And that, you know, if you're doing that through tra traditional methods, that's going to cost you extra money. Whereas this is something that gives you more control on a much more cost efficient basis because those people are you have them already. And you can just add in people as you need without thinking, oh, I've got to ring the, 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 the field work company and how much are they going to charge me per person? You know, it's a completely different thing to, to consider and it's much more cost effective. So 
you end up with a list of songs in front of you with some scores attached. I understand there's a hit detective involved here. Can you walk us through how that works? Well, this was um, something that was feedback from from clients, basically, because, you know, there are lots of people out there who have uh, a lot of experience in working with, you know, music and research and so on. There are people who are not quite so sophisticated with it. So they'd say, look, I can see all the big songs and I can see all the lower songs. And those lower songs are either not scoring well because they're unfamiliar, because they're brand new or they're on their way out. But what about all these songs in the middle, you know, which are kind of have a, a similar score? What should I do? And that's where the hit detective came in. It's uh, it's a, a, it is an algorithm, but it's an add-on to the uh, the main outlier algorithm. And basically, what it does is it looks at all the individual metrics, you know, the burn score, the negative score, and so on, and compares that, and then gives you uh, the ideal list order of what songs you should be playing. So you know, you might say, I, I know exactly what I want to put into my powers. Uh, I know what I want to do into my tertiary uh, rotations, but those ones in the middle, which ones did I put? The hit detective would help you by simply saying, this is the best order. If you need six songs and we're showing you 10, you take the top six and they're the ones that should go into the into the, 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 the medium rotation. So there's there's so much more than meets the eye is what you're saying. The uh, What's known collectively as the algorithm will be able to spot this data behind the songs and and give you a much better idea of where to put them absolutely yeah it, it's like having you know dare i say it, a, a consultant on your shoulder or a, you know advisory um there where that you know you can you are making a a decision based on the best information you can have now you know as as a music research expert or a person who's a music director and has a lot of experience they will still want to look at the the individual metrics and make that you know that balanced judgment but you know they'll always everybody likes to have a reassuring tap on the back saying yeah i like the way you made that decision and that's the right decision and, and even the, in those scenarios the hit detective can give you that clap on the back well let's face it stephen at this point with folks who are who've been in the industry for a long time and previously would have the time in their week or in their day to play with the uh, the subtleties that we're talking about the time isn't there now so if you can have a consultant sitting on your shoulder basically looking at numbers you can't even see with the naked eye and you can save yourself some time i think even the most experienced practitioner would say you know i'm down for that Absolutely. And, you know, you, you the, the one thing that we also emphasize is that, you know, in a lot of traditional methodologies, you have to wait until the survey concludes before you can make decisions. Uh, with our system, it's dynamically updating all the time as the survey continues and as the sample grows. And so long as you have decent samples, you're beginning to see, you know, the highlights and potentially some of the issues as well. You know, if you suddenly see burn scores uh, going to 35 to 40, you might think, mm, I'm not going to wait until the end of the survey. I'm going to change something now. Um, again, once you know you want to do the overall analysis, yes, it can be speeded up using the system. And when you do have time, you can go back and revisit it and, ha- and have a look. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think you know the way the, the, the industry seems to be going, it's reliant on uh, less people doing an awful lot more. And because they're, they're multitasking, um, they would like to be able to spend, you know, a, a long period of time making every decision. But this is a system that will actually go and go, look, if you want to make the right decision, this is the way to go because the algorithm will help you get there. Now, the system we're talking about is Momentum Music Research powered by the iRate cloud platform. Now, Stephen, we've got you here. And while you're here, I want to just take your temperature 
you're looking out at the universe of radio right now in 2021, coming into, dare I say, post-pandemic. What do you see? What 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 forecast uh, or can you see at all? What's uh, the the near future for the radio business? It's difficult, Sean, because you know the near future things can change. The pandemic may last an awful lot longer than we we thought. You know, even with vaccines around. But you know, looking forward, you know, we are as an industry seeing, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot more time spent listening. People may be slightly diverted away from that. Um, but it's still important that, you know, they're getting, you know, every time they tune in, they're getting what they need and it's being given to them on, on a consistent basis. So I don't think things like that will change. Um, radio has, you know, proven itself in other ways uh, through, you know, being a, an information source and even more importantly, a, a reliable and trusted source. So I think that the radio industry will have benefited from that. Um, you know, we will see uh, continuing competition from the likes of the streaming services and so on but I don't think you know I don't think we'll see the death of radio anytime soon it just needs to maybe adapt and, and move and, and maybe you know look at the internet and the streaming side of things to look at how you might be able to bring out you know secondary stations with a slightly different music focus and so on but uh, I, you know I think for the foreseeable future radio has a has a has a, a shining light on it fascinating discussion my friend I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy week to um, to have a little talk about the intricacies of of research and the importance of it in the music uh, radio business today. Thank you so much. Nice to talk to you, Sean. Take care. That's Stephen Ryan of Momentum Music Research, joining us from the seaside in England. For more information, visit MomentumMusicResearch.com. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.